Welcome to the I Matter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. Welcome to the I Matter Podcast. How are you feeling today? Yep, that's my question to start with. How's your energy? Are you feeling up? Are you feeling down? Are you excited or stressed? See, the thing is, as leaders, the way that we feel drives our performance, and it often drives the performance of everybody else around us. And this is top of mind for me at the moment, because I'm just about to head off to speak at conferences in Sydney and Brisbane. A week apart, so I'm going to spend some time in Sydney as well, and on the Gold Coast. And I know how important it is to be at peak performance levels, especially with an unfamiliar environment and flights and meetings and new accommodation, and of course, my conference presentation as well. Um, but the same is true in whatever you do, especially as a leader. And it's so easy for our energy to flag and fall because we've got so much to do and so little time, right? Especially when we've got so many other people clamoring for our attention as well. So my guest in this episode helps business leaders improve their performance and she helps you do it every day. So if you know that you need to raise your energy levels and keep them high so you can achieve your goals and keep your team motivated and inspired as well, then you're going to learn a lot from Julie Meek. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. Today I'm speaking with Julie Meek. Now, Julie's an expert in high performance, and, and I don't say that lightly because she's one of the most respected sports dietitians in Australia, and she's got over 15 years' experience in public sports and corporate nutrition, and she's helped thousands of people achieve their personal success through eating well. And she's been the dietitian to the Fremantle Dockers Football Club in the AFL and the Perth Wildcats uh, in basketball, and she's been doing that for years now, and she's recently appointed a sports dietitian for the Western Australian Institute of Sport. But she doesn't only work with sports people. She takes those ideas and applies them to the business world as well, and also to the general public through her very popular guest spot on 6PR Radio, which I love listening to, Julie. That's great. And she's also an entertaining and in-demand professional speaker. And today I'm really excited to speak with her because I want to talk to her about high performance for leaders. So welcome, Julie. Thanks, Gahan. It's a pleasure. Let's just cut to the chase. Everybody's talking about how busy they are, how stressed they are, how little time they have, how much pressure they have at work and at home and at balancing work and home. So why is it that some leaders thrive in those situations while others just struggle? They just struggle to even survive. Well, I think this is a really interesting point because that, this is how my interest with sports and business came into play because leaders and athletes have a great deal in common. So they have to undergo you know, bouts of stress. They have to endure quite a lot. And the two things that come out for me in terms of sports and business and why one works and one doesn't is because people who are organised, and this is definitely true of leaders, do a lot better in terms of their performance. So the organisation then leads, of course, on to having a plan. So if you actually have a game plan, whether you're a leader or whether you're a, a sports person, if you have that game plan and you can map out your day, your week, your month, then you actually have something that is structured and something that you can see actually happening. And so that game plan can actually then be modified and it can have the, the basically the structure put in place for it to work. Okay, so that should be music to most leaders' ears, Julie, because you're saying, be organised, have a game plan, and they go, yep, check, check, I do that every day in my life, I know about strategy, I know about planning, I know about setting directions, I know about goal setting, and yet I still think most leaders get this wrong, Mm. don't they, when they're talking about their performance? Well, they do, because interestingly, they're very good at looking at strategy and planning for the business or for the company, but they don't always apply that to themselves. Ah, okay. 
And so then when we can make that comparison between the business and yourself and how that can actually apply just as well, that's when the light bulb often comes on because, oh, okay, right, I can actually use the same strategy but apply it to my own health, well-being and performance. Okay, so that's interesting because it seems like then if I'm a leader, I seem to have already got the skills. I'm just not applying them in the right places. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's it. And if you look at some of the things that affect whether that can actually happen, a lot of business people in business have not considered that the challenges they have in business are the same challenges they have in their own lives. And they're the things that are actually affecting their ability to perform. Okay, that's interesting because I think that if you ask most leaders, they wouldn't say that's what it is. They'd say, okay, I'm really good at the strategy and planning for my business, but my personal life, particularly where it, where it applies to my health and fitness, I just have to let that go. And when I find time for it, then I'll get back on track. But at the moment, everything's too chaotic in other parts of my life, right. so I just don't have the time for it right now. What do you say to that? Right, and I think that's a really great point, Gahan, because when we talk about being busy and, and not having enough time to do things, the things that we can actually control, we often ditch out. So we ditch out things like having enough sleep, eating well, having enough time to exercise. So we're very, very casual with those things. Oh, well, see you later. You can come back when I've actually got the time mm-hmm. to do it. But because we're not applying a strategy to those things and not putting them into the game plan, then that time will never actually arrive. And so we'll continue to be busy and stressed and they just won't factor in our game plan. Okay. All right. So let's look at that. Let's look at setting up a game plan. And I'm thinking, Julie, that a lot of this is just what you do every day, isn't it? You can set out your plan, but if you don't stick to it tomorrow, then Mm -hmm. uh, if you fall off the wagon straight away, it's not going to be very useful, is it? So what are the sort of things that leaders should be thinking about when setting up, a, I guess, a realistic game plan, something that they know that they can do? Not Mm -hmm. necessarily easily, but something that they, they know they can do and they won't shove it to one side just because everything else gets in the way. Well, I think firstly, having a visual about what that actually means. So most people, whether they are interested in sport or not, and this is something to to recognise straight away, not everyone likes sport, but all of us have a concept of what a game is. So if you think about like an AFL game, for example, you've got four quarters, and if you thought about your day-to-day like that, when you get up in the morning, you are expected to perform from that moment that your feet hit the floor. So that's really the the beginning of the first quarter. And so then your end of the first quarter might come at around mid-morning, half-time would be at lunchtime, third quarter would be mid-afternoon. But the problem with that, of course, is if you don't manage those three quarters, and particularly that last third quarter, you don't actually win the grand final. Mm -hmm. And so putting that visual into people's heads for a start then becomes quite compartmentalised and quite easy to see. Whereas if you actually say, look, we need to organise a game plan, how are we going to do it? It just seems way too big and you can't actually work out a strategy from there. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, why don't we think about ourselves as being a postage stamp? So I'm only going to ask you to do one thing and you might only be doing that one thing for a number of weeks until you've actually nailed it and then you can move on to the next thing. So it's like being a postage stamp, stick to one thing until you actually get there. Okay, okay. Now, let's let's go back to the four quarters thing, Julie. So if you look at that, and I like that idea. I like that idea of splitting my day up into four quarters. So who am I competing against and how do I keep score? Okay, so that's a great question. So you're, well, you might say you're competing against yourself, but you're not because you look at business 
and how competitive it is. And particularly when we're looking at various levels in terms of, of management, there is always someone who is looking for an edge. And it's exactly the same in sport. So athletes will look for that one percenter, the thing that will give them the edge over their competitors. And it's the same in business. So what are the one thing that would give you an edge? Well, do you know what? If I actually had more energy to actually compete during my business day, then that would give me an edge over the people who are sitting at their desk looking like they're awake, but they're not. There's no lights on, basically. So what are things that I need to do for that to happen? And so we then start looking at, first of all, what are the challenges that you might face before you can actually work out what you can, in fact, do? So if time is a challenge, which for all of us it, it definitely is, then how we can we actually create some time or be smart about how we use our time so we can fit in some of that exercise or get a bit more sleep, for example? Mm-hmm. Okay, so time's a big one. And I know that time is one of the things that's going to, um, it's going to get in the way of a lot of people, isn't it? They're going to fall off the wagon. So for me, Julie, I'm a morning person. I like waking up early. I like exercising in the morning. This morning I was at the gym, even though it was a bit drizzly and wet and miserable and I felt like staying in bed. But I know that not everyone's like that. And uh, I know people have different energy cycles, I guess. So how do you... How do you help people who don't have time in the morning or or struggle to make time? How do you get them to have more energy early in their day? Well, I'm the same as you, Gohan. I'm an early morning person, but I do recognize that not everyone's like that. So it's first of all finding... Finding the day, finding the time of the day that would actually suit you. Now, for some, that will be morning, some it will be night. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like to exercise by themselves. That's a fact. And I'm one of those people. So I know that I need to have a buddy and an exercise partner to do that. A lot of my leaders that I work with in business have a trainer to work with because they don't have to think about it. They just go and they meet up with somebody at a particular time. So that takes the thought and the effort about actually working out what it is that I'm going to do. But also to recognize that what exercise I like is not the same one that someone else will like. Mm-hmm. So sitting down with them and working out what do you, what did you enjoy doing as a kid? I mean, that might sound like a silly question, but often that's the type of exercise that adults like to do as well. And when would be good for you? And let's not make it an hour. Let's start at 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you need to break down break down the plan so that it is actually achievable because most people say, do you know what, I'm going to exercise in this new program of mine for seven days a week and I'm going to do it for an hour a day. That is never going to work. Mm. So it needs to be something that is very small to start with and so you can get confidence in your ability to actually do it. Okay, so if I drill down to that a little bit further, Julie, is it something that you want people to be able to do every day so is it like a seven day a week thing or maybe even a five day a week thing maybe just during the working week that you do a small amount every day or is it that you schedule time in your week to have say three one hour sessions or or whatever it is does Mm -hmm. it have to does it help you to do it every day i i don't think to start with it does Mm -hmm. so if if seven days a week which is true for most people is just too much then you would actually start with three times a week and so if it's every second day then it doesn't seem so hard and yeah. if you have uh if you have someone to do it with well that makes it easier again but you need to do it you know at a time that would suit you and not too often so i actually think three times a week is more than enough to start with okay and for how long I think 20 to 30 minutes for the first sessions is once again more than enough because if we're working at a zero at the moment, then that is a massive increase. Okay, so you're only talking about creating an extra hour or an hour and a half Mm -hmm. each week and 
you know, that should be achievable, isn't it? <laughs> Shouldn't it? Even even in a really chaotic, high stress, high pressure, uh, lots and lots of deadlines world, it shouldn't be that mm-hmm. hard to find an hour, an hour and a half. It's not. And well, it is and it is and it's not. And I guess for some people, one of the best ways to exercise is to make it destination exercise. And so quite a few of my leaders in business actually use it as a way of getting to or from work. And so they're not having to find another block of time for something else in the day. So it might be, okay, so when I finish work, some of these people have actually scheduled this, I will walk part of the way home or I'll cycle part of the way home. And it doesn't matter then that I can have a shower when I get home. Whereas at the beginning of the day, it's a lot harder because if you need to have a shower and you need to get dressed again, that's a barrier for some people. Yes, and a friend of mine who lives in Sydney, and she she doesn't doesn't live too far from where she works in the CBD, but she always takes her gym shoes with her so that she can walk home. Okay. It's a nice forty minute walk home, and uh, she gets exercise that way. It is a great way to do it, and also you get a chance to actually debrief yourself. So you've had you might have had a very busy or a stressful day at work, and it's a great way of just unloading in that time period before you actually get home. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you about that, Julie, because it seems like everything you're talking about so far has been about physical exercise and physical health, but it seems that a lot of that will help you. We're trying to create a better mental health as well, aren't we, as a result of the exercise? We are, and there's no doubt that when we actually do that exercise and you get all those endorphins rushing into your body, it's a really powerful drug, so you get that fantastic benefit from those from a mental health perspective and you're also getting the physical health ticked off as well so it's a win-win on both sides yeah and i think that maybe that's one of the disconnects that people have when they look at elite athletes and, and sports people they're looking at the exercise they do and they go well that's fine you're doing that because that's your job you have to exercise yeah. because your job is about uh, being physically elite whereas for us exercise is a pain it's a nuisance it's finding extra time in our day and we don't have to be at peak physical fitness um, because the the issues that we face aren't physical they're more mental well this is an interesting thing because when we actually look at it like that versus we don't need to have this physical fitness well the reality is that we do because to perform mentally at our peak, then we do need to have that physical fitness. And so if you look at things like, uh, you know, your circulation and your blood flow to your brain, then that's much more improved if you've actually got the physical aspect of that. So whilst we might not need to be in the same shape as an elite athlete, we're actually working as elite leaders in business. And so we do need to have that same ethos in place. Yeah, great, great. And let's look at some practical things, Julie. I know that in one of the workshops that you run, you talk about these simple steps to stay at the top of your game. And I'd love it if you could share some of them. I know you won't be able to go into it in as much detail as you would in the workshop, but just share some ideas because I know know from uh, talking to you and knowing you for a while that you've got such practical things for people to do. Okay, so the steps that I talk to people about in business, this first one is really crucial. So if we think about the day as a sprint event rather than a marathon, so what, how we tend to structure our days are is this long marathon that we never see the end of. And the problem is when we never actually see a finish line, it's very disheartening. There's no nothing you can tick off at the end of the day. And when you think about those series of sprint events, it's coming back to that game plan. So if I've got four quarters that I need to work within a day – I can see the end of the first quarter. I can see the end of the first half. And so that way, it is actually doable. And on the back of that is working in 90-minute cycles of intense effort. 
So there's a lot of research on this, Gihan, about, you know, we need to actually work intensely for a, a period of time and then we need to rest and renew. And there is a very clever man by the name of Tony Schwartz who runs the Energy Project. And he talks about the 90-minute cycles of intense effort. Now, you might actually be a bit different than that. You might have a 60-minute cycle, but it should never be longer than 90 minutes mm. of intense effort. See, that's really interesting, Julie, because as soon as you said that, it just reminded me that whenever I run a workshop or I do full-day consulting or facilitation, I always break up my day into these 90-minute segments. There's a bit ah. before morning tea, then we have a morning tea break for 20 to 30 minutes, then you have the before lunch session, then you have lunch, and then after lunch, and then after afternoon tea. And it's interesting, I could do that naturally when I'm running a workshop or facilitating any sort of group work, but I don't necessarily apply the same principles to my own working day. Well, that's really interesting because you innately know that for other people, that's actually the best, you know, time for attention span and concentration. But I, I'm like you, I'm actually not good at saying to myself, it's 90 minutes, you need to stop now. Mm -hmm. So I have to set a timer. So I set my alarm to go off on 90-minute intervals mm -hmm. and then I reset it for five minutes. So there's a five-minute break. That's all you need at the end of the 90 minutes. for, And it might be just to go and have a fuel stop, go and get a, a drink or something to eat, or it might be getting up and having a quick walk around the office or the building, whatever it might be. But it's important that you set that time as well because that can actually go on a, a bit too long. But the five minutes gets your brain working better because your circulation is actually flowing from where you've actually been sitting. So this is really important. Okay. And in that 90 minutes is your idea that we should be working on one task, like a big job that we have to do, or is it okay to do whatever we need to do in that 90 minutes, even if it's jumping back and forth or doing a whole bunch of little tasks all put together? I think it's really important that you focus on a particular task and, you know, all the research backs me up in this. It's the same as when we've got, you know, too many things going on on our computers and when I see that spinning wheel of death, <laughs> I actually know that I've got way too much going on on my computer. So I have that visual in my head as well that if, if I'm actually going in the 90 minutes but I'm doing 25 different things, I can't actually focus and concentrate on one particular thing. So I'm being counterproductive. Now, it's okay if I've scheduled that 90 minutes for, let's say, six different things and I'm going through each of them, but not when I'm jumping from one to another. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So, do it in sprints and 90-minute sprints. That's takeaway value already, Julie, and that's just step one. Yeah, so that's that's the number one thing, I think, um, because that helps you structure. The, the second one is sleep, which is really, really important. And it's one of those things that we just throw off like it's not important and we think oh do you know what I'm really busy today I'll let go some of my sleep either in the morning or at the night but we know without a fact that after breathing sleep is our most fundamental need and it's that important and the thing is if you're not getting at least seven hours sleep a night then you need to look at what you can do to make that a reality and the reality for most people is that we don't get to really modify our getting up time so we get up according to our either our exercise routine or our work schedule and so the one that we can change often is the one at night time and you can't just all of a sudden say do you know what I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier for most people that's really impossible so it might mean bringing your sleep forward by 10 minutes and then you might do that for a couple of weeks and then you might bump it up by another 10 minutes until you get to the time that you need to be asleep for and I know that that's different for every single person, 
but it is fairly important that most of us get somewhere between seven and eight hours of sleep a night. Okay. All right. So seven hours at a minimum, which I know there's certainly times when I've thought, okay, I can get by in five or six hours and maybe you can do it for a night or two, but you can't really do that for a stretch, can you? You can't. And your body tells you that anyway. You you actually act, your body acts like it has an alcohol reading of about 0.05 when you're really tired. Mm. And so it, obviously not as much fun, is it, when you're actually feeling tired rather than having a glass of wine. But it does affect your performance quite dramatically. And if you're consistently not getting enough sleep over days and weeks, then there's no way your brain's working at capacity and, and neither is your body. So okay. while you think you might be doing okay, you're really not. Yeah. Any any tips on how to get to sleep, Julia? I know some people struggle with, even if they're in bed and the lights are turned off, they struggle getting to sleep. Yeah. Now, this, this is interesting because I, mean, I know that a lot of people who struggle with sleep have probably been through some of this, but... The not looking at devices is really one of the big, big things now. And that's anything like computers, iPods, um, your phone, TV, the whole lot, because it's so stimulating. So really the recommendation now is that we don't do that for an hour, at least an hour before we go to sleep. Mm -hmm. That's quite hard for a lot of people. And particularly with some of the leaders that I work with, they are taking their phones to bed. And then email, et cetera, actually interrupting their sleep, not just as they're going to sleep, but during the night as well. So that's a really big one. The other thing is following a, you know, a particular routine. Is there a routine that you follow before you go to bed? You know, do you have a shower, which is actually recommended to get your, your body warm? Is there a nice dark room? Are you removing all your distractions? So have you got a blinking alarm clock on your bedside table? If you do, get rid of it. That is one of the things that really interrupts sleep the LED lighting, and also to take your phone away from the bed. So put it at the doorway or put it away from your bed where you can actually get it. Okay, great. All right, the sleep. What's next? The next one is taking regular holidays. and Or it doesn't have to be a big holiday, but mini breaks. Because if we don't recharge, and particularly our brains, then our batteries obviously don't get renewed. And... You know, it doesn't need to be a week or a two weeks, although that is fantastic, but it might just be a three-day weekend or if you're having a two-day weekend to really have some plans to not plug into all the things we normally do. And I think one of the things that in business we forget is that we are special, we are unique, but we're not indispensable. Mm. And that's often what a lot of people believe. I can't leave work because who else would do my job? Well, there's a lot of people who will actually do it and you often find when you go away that when you come back, everything is perfectly fine. And this is totally important to our performance and our well-being. And I think it's, for me, it's very important that I plan, I have my next holiday planned as I finish one, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. That's that's an interesting idea. I mean, my partner and I, we decided that we're going to try and try and have a mini break every three months and that's Mm. without her kids so just the two of us every three months organize a little bit of a mini break and that's in addition to everything else that we do with the kids and other other longer breaks that we have and so you're already doing that and I, i think you know some people do that but a lot of people don't and i think it just gives us that feeling of having something to look forward to as well it's just you know feeding feeding our energy and it just it seems to be more commonplace now, Julie, that people do take mini breaks, don't they? They don't feel like they have to um, 
wait until they can take four weeks leave to take a big holiday. They're, they're willing to take an extra a day off or two. And maybe if you're a leader who worries about whether you can leave your business for that period of time, maybe you can start by just taking an extra day or two and then find that the world doesn't collapse around you. That's right. And, uh, you know, some of the, the businesses that I work with, you know, have great leadership teams where they can, they're, you know, everyone's capable of actually holding the fort for a short time. And also there are organisations who allow their employees to buy leave time. So if they have, you know, they have their four weeks annual leave, but they're also allowed to buy it. So that's kind of a really neat concept that you can actually buy some extra leave, leave in case you wanted just that extra mini break. Yeah, it's a great idea. Okay, what's next? Okay, the next one is fueling up. Now, this is all about what we're putting in, in terms of food and nutrition. And the fact is that a lot of people have no understanding or aren't in touch with actually what's going in versus out. And I know this is probably a really simplistic equation, but it's the only one that works. And that is, if you have your energy energy coming in, if we want to maintain our body at the way it is, if that's okay and a healthy thing, then it needs to be equal. So our exercise needs to equal our in. And we also need to look at what are we putting in. So we know that carbohydrate is a great way of fueling, but we also know that if we eat too much of it, then our weight increases. And that's one of the things that a lot of my clients are working on you know, at the moment, and that's to make sure that their energy is good. But also, it does make a difference where those calories are actually coming from. And to make sure that we don't get caught up in the fads and the kind of crazy stuff that is going around because when you do, often your energy levels can really flag and that's when fatigue can be a big issue. But having said that, a lot of the leaders that I work with are either having way too little intake in terms of their energy or they've got way too much. And the way too much can be a result of a lot of travel a lot of entertaining of clients, which would mean more alcohol than they should be having. So it's often one of those two extremes, too little or too much. Okay, and I know that listening to your radio show, Julie, almost all the questions that come in are about food and quite a, quite a number of them are about fads and things that people have heard about and they, and they wonder whether it's real or not and they get the chance to ask you and you can help them out. Are there any general rules that you should follow? I know a friend of mine years ago told me, you know, don't buy anything that's got a label on it as a, as a first rule and just go, for, just go for natural healthy food and that might be a starting point. But do you have any broad guidelines for people in terms of choosing their food? Well, there's, there's three problem areas in terms of if you're looking at a working day, and that is number one, breakfast. And so a lot of people don't actually eat breakfast. And this can be a great place to start. And it doesn't need to be people think, oh, I don't have enough time in the morning, I'm too time poor. But actually taking breakfast in with you and eating there is perfectly fine. And it might be something as simple as taking in some cereal, or actually having cereal there. So a lot of my clients actually take their cereal in to eat with some low-fat milk and some fruit, fantastic. They might also, you know, have some toast and eggs. Going to a cafe or a business meeting, you can, you're still able to do that. Mm. So not skipping breakfast because when you're asleep at night, you can lose two-thirds of your energy storage just through sleeping. Mm. So you're getting up and you're expecting your brain and your body to go and do good duty work, and that's not possible. So breakfast is big. The second one is... And I'm going to jump to the third one, actually, before I come back to the second one. The third quarter, which is usually after lunch till 
let's say around four o'clock. There's a lot of people that around three o'clock will have that feeling of needing to have a good lie down on the carpet. And we get very good at having our eyes open, but nothing going on. And so at that particular time is usually when your brain sends you a message to go and get some sugar because your energy levels are so low. Now, the message that we get, unfortunately, is one that says, if you don't go and get some sugar right now, then someone will be hurt. <laughs> and the first thing we often go for is like a, a lolly. And so we go searching for sugar in the form of lollies. But what that means is that you feel great for five or 10 minutes and then you feel pretty rubbish. And quite often you need to go and get some more of that. The thing is here is why don't we look at some smarter snacks that we can actually have? And that might be something with some protein or some carbohydrate, like a yogurt and fruit, a handful of nuts and some fruit. So that combination of protein and carbohydrate is a really important one. It means that we can feel full, we'll get to the end of the third quarter, and it means we can make it to the end of the game in one piece. And that is a really crucial time. Most employers don't get a lot out of their employees from lunchtime onwards because of that, which is a really interesting thing. It costs a lot of money to businesses that three o'clock in the afternoon. Now I'll jump back to the second one, which is lunch. So if you don't actually move away from your desk to have lunch, it means that you're not having a good quality break, mental break, but also a good quality physical break. And that might mean just moving away from your desk and going somewhere else, but it means that you've taken the effort to go and have your lunch. And that's really important. And it's very tempting, isn't it, Julie, to just sit at your computer and and eat because you think I just can't afford to take time off, but I do need to, I feel hungry, so I do need to eat, but I I don't have the time for it, so I'm going to try and multitask that way. And that's right. A lot of people do think that, but unfortunately, the question should, should actually be, can I afford not to? Because if we go back to that sprint versus a marathon, you're then operating back in that marathon mentality which means that you cannot see the finish line and you actually won't see the finish line today because if you don't stop to have lunch, then your quality of your work is definitely going to be affected and your performance is not where it could be. Yeah, and if you're going back to that analogy of the four quarters, it means that you're not having a half-time break, whereas what you really want to do is take the time to re-energise. And you would never, ever see any team of any description not have their half-time break, so why should you not? Great. Okay. So we've talked a lot of things, Julie. We talked about those cycles. We talked about getting enough sleep, taking breaks and uh, eating well, fueling yourself well. Are there any other steps that you want to cover? I think there's probably another one, which is it's something we just touched on earlier, which is the get moving, Gihan. So just to remind people, I guess, is that you are actually more productive in the two hours after you have moved or exercised and you have a whole 24-hour improvement. So that's pretty amazing. If you only do 20 minutes every second day, you also have your risk of Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Now, you might not think, oh, who cares? I'm young. I don't need to worry about Alzheimer's disease. But what we actually do now, of course, is really setting the path for what happens to us later. So if we only need to do 20 minutes every second day, I don't think that's too much of a stretch for most people. Yeah, like we said earlier, it doesn't seem like much, does it? And uh, so if you just say, okay, let's do 20 minutes, is it a case of just finding the time in the day to do it? Is it, um, what, what do you need to get started in that? I think it is getting back to what time of the day suits me. How can I actually make that happen? So what exercise would I like to do? And if there's nothing that I would like to do, what's the one that I would most like to do out of the ones that I don't want to do, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, is there some? Is there someone that I could do that with so I can gather some support? And if there isn't, can I actually engage someone to help me do that? And 
if I if I actually start that program, I, you start to feel the benefit straight away. So that feeds it, but it's actually taking that initial first step. And that's often the hardest thing, as we all know, to start any new behaviour. Okay, and is walking enough, Julie? I know that a lot of people have said that well, walking isn't enough anymore, even though that was used that used to be what was prescribed. But is that enough? Walking's fantastic. Okay, and for the for most people who are certainly beginning an exercise program, then walking for them is akin to like climbing Mount Everest because mm. if you're not doing any exercise, then walking is a big jump. But the beauty of walking, of course, is free. You can do it from anywhere. So you can walk out of your, your house door or your business door, wherever it is. You've got no restrictions on that. So there's very few people who couldn't do a walk and it's fantastic exercise. Yes, yeah, so there's a consult a client of mine who's a consultant and when he does his one hour consultations, he takes his clients walking around Lake Munger, which takes him about an mm. hour, you know, close to where I live, and he makes that a walking a walking consultation. So he gets his exercise, he gets them exercising, and I guess he he tries to get them in a different frame of mind than what they would normally be if they were in an office. Well, I think he's hit on a great successful equation because I often do the same thing with my clients mm. and it does you're you're outside you've got fresh air and I think you can become a lot more creative with your own things when you're actually outside doing a walk it's a fantastic idea yeah great okay any other steps that you want to talk about Julie I think the last one Gaham, would be the more you drink the more you shrink <laughs> and I know we're not talking about water here. <laughs> no, no, we're not, and we're not. We're not trying to be rude either, Gehan. Um, but the, I'm referring to your brain here, but also to alcohol. So, what we know is that more than two drinks a day increases brain shrinkage, and which you know is a, is a little bit scary. There's a lot of research that shows smaller amounts than that even can lead to shrinkage. But I also think that you need to live and. I think that if you enjoy having a glass of red or a beer or whatever it might be, then you should be able to enjoy that. We just need to remember a couple of things that if you have alcohol in your body, then your body will try and get rid of that first beyond anything else. So if you're eating something that has a lot of fat in it, so quite often let's think about if the fact we go to a pub or a bar, we might have a drink, there might be some bar snacks around. So there might be things like, you know, pastry deep fried pastry stuff or nuts, chips, all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, when we eat those and we've got alcohol in the same place, the alcohol acts like an express post parcel, basically. So it's like, okay, thanks. I'll have that. I'm going to get you in as fast as I possibly can. So while you're enjoying yourself, having a chat, the fat is actually coming in and depositing itself either usually on your gut or on your butt. And that's because the alcohol is very, very important a priority for your body to get rid of so that's an important thing to remember and the other thing is where do you pour to so quite often if we're pouring ourselves a drink whatever size the glass we're having we pour to the top it's just our natural instinct now if you were entertaining and you were giving someone a drink you'd feel kind of a bit strange or a bit mean if you actually gave them 100 mils in a glass because it's pretty small amount But if you're having a drink at home, then why not put a little marker on your glass that shows you where to pour to? Because no one's looking and it just gives you a guide that if you enjoy having a drink most nights, that's fine. But you need to know where to pour to because it's a great source of calories or kilojoules. And it does mean that you're, if you're not measuring, then you might be going above those two drinks a day. And that, of course, leads to brain shrinkage. 
Yeah, and that's a really good piece of advice, Julie, because I know that I can, you know, if Nikki and I are at home and we are having a drink with dinner, we might have a couple of drinks, but no more. But our measurement is two drinks rather than, you know, we don't calculate the milliliters that we're drinking. So if we yes. put a, if we actually drink less by, by just pouring less in each glass, we'll still end up having two drinks. We'll still feel like we've had a nice evening in and yeah. we're actually drinking less alcohol. It, that is totally right. And I think it's just being, you know, don't rely on your own judgment sometimes because we're not very good at looking at something and saying this is how big it is. And so just eliminate that step altogether. Just put a marker. Yes, you're right. You still get to have two drinks, but it's just two different size drinks. What about the challenge of the the business leaders who are traveling a lot and they have to, you know, they, they drink because they're entertaining clients or they drink because they just get home at the end of a busy day and they feel like having a drink to relax. And uh, I know that, you know, the occasional drink may not be harmful, but if you're doing that a lot, which a lot of business leaders mm. are, it just all adds up, doesn't it? Any tips for that? Yeah, we I have a couple of rules of the game that my leaders actually work with. So first of all, it's a competition. So we have a cap, and this depends very individually. So each person will have a different cap. Now, by that, I mean there's a certain number of drinks in a week that they are allowed to have. So we decide that between the two of us, and that will be based on what they're currently having and the type of alcohol they're consuming. So we'll have a cap that they're not allowed to go over, and they will have some sort of fine in place for if they go over. And they very rarely do, which is fantastic. So that's the first thing. We also have a, it's like having a bank account. So if you've got a bank account and let's say you're allowed to have 15 drinks in a week, then how are you actually going to spend those alcoholic drinks in a week? So I know in advance what they're going to be doing during a week, which means that we can plan out that bank account in terms of the alcohol. So they go to a thing knowing how many they're allowed to have at that particular function. And so they can actually plan for that. And then the other rule of thumb is usually they can't drink when they're on a plane. So if they're flying, they don't drink. And that eliminates quite a lot of alcohol for quite a, a large number of my clients. And having those two rules in place makes a vast difference to the alcohol intake. Yeah, fantastic. So Julie, as I said, I, I knew I'd be getting some really practical advice here and you've been you've delivered on that because I, I love the really simple but practical and effective things that you shared. Um, I know that there are people who would like to get in touch with you to find out more about what you do and how you can help them. So who do you like to work with and, and what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, I love to work with leaders and their teams in business and particularly those who are committed to actually making a change to their own game plan. And the best way to get in contact with me would be through my website, which is juliemeek.com.au. Fantastic. That's been so great, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas. Um, if I can ask you one last, last question, maybe get one more idea out of you. Sure. Any, any parting thoughts, anything that you'd like to leave us with? Probably that self-leadership is a, a really big thing that each of us can do. And so it's the ability basically to achieve your own objectives. But we also need to remember that motivation is is not a given and it's a daily practice that we need to work on, each and every one of us. So don't assume just because someone is doing something really well that they are a motivated person and you're not. Everyone's got that within them and you can actually utilise those things to actually make your performance the best it can be. Julie Meek, thanks very much. Very welcome, Gihan. Wasn't that great? 
I love that Julie gives really practical advice and she breaks it down into small enough steps that anybody can do it. And I reckon this is one episode that's worth listening to again and writing down exactly what you'll do today. Yep, start with something that you're going to do today. And you can check out Julie at her website, juliemeek.com.au. While we're on the topic of performance and health, I'll tell you about my webinar coming up on Thursday the 15th of October. It's called The Future of Healthcare. And I like looking at healthcare because every industry is facing change, but healthcare is one of the fastest changing. And we're seeing things like big data and predictive analytics, the consumerization of healthcare. All of these sort of things are making massive changes to the way that you get healthcare services now and also in the future. But some of these things are right here, right now. So in this webinar, I'm going to share some of the biggest changes that are happening right now and that are going to take us into our future. And this webinar is for everyone, because of course, everyone wants to know about their future health, right? But it's also for leaders, because you'll see what's happening in healthcare and you'll see parallels to your business and your industry as well. This webinar is free. It's part of my ongoing webinar series called Future Proof. So you can register at seeingintothefuture.com. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at gihanparera.com. And that's where you should go as well if you want to engage with me in other ways. You can find my blog, newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. And they're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself. This is Kihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike. Thank you.